Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. I created Data Mesh Radio to be a resource for Data Mesh practitioners the world over. This is a weekly summary episode where I share a bit about the upcoming week's episodes and give you an extended summary for any interviews or panels that will be released during that week. It's designed to help you decide what episodes you might want to spend the full time to listen to, as interview episodes and panels are typically more than one hour long. In general, if you were running up against any challenges with Data Mesh, I'm here to help. I started a company around doing just that, Data Mesh Understanding. So get in touch if I can be of help. Check out our free community programs and things like that as well. Weekly episode summaries and programming notes for the week of October 1st, 2023. I got some more bad news relative to my health, so I'm glad I have most of my content, uh, I think, other than some of these summaries and, um, you know, some of the actual recordings of the panels done for the rest of the year in one form or another. So um, I do still need to put together some of the panels. So if you're interested in being on one, do get in touch. I'll have one. Hopefully on data contracts, one on reliability engineering practices that we could apply to data, not just engineering for data reliability. This is reliability engineering for data. I'll get into what that means. Um, that one's actually recorded. I'm going to have one on, you know, kind of transformation and uh, or, or transformation as well as transformation around data. Um Another, maybe one or two on leading a data mesh implementation. I'm trying to work with Cindy Housen on one of those, et cetera. Some of those will spill into the first quarter, you know, from either a, a recording or probably release standpoint. But let's get as many ideas in as we can. Like, what do people really, really still have questions about? So please do reach out. And please also just in general, reach out to someone this week whose content you like and just let them know. I, I wouldn't keep doing this podcast if it weren't, weren't for people kind of pinging me and saying that stuff. So let's untap for this week. We have episode number 256, How to Drive Towards a Data-Driven Culture with Data Mesh. This is an interview with Amy Edwards. So Amy was one of the people that was helping to lead the Data Mesh implementation at Vista before she took uh, some time off for a career break. In this one, we talked about how at Vista, their concept of what would drive their implementation forward was usage, right? And that the more that you get people to get used to using specific data products and data products in general, the more value that will be generated. And sometimes people think, well, well no, duh, that's a one-to-one, but there's actually some really interesting nuance. Um, because it's more about getting people used to the concept and getting people used to specific data products so that when they come up with, they, they might come up with a better use case and that there's a higher, um, a higher kind of learning curve on these data products than a lot of people expect. So a lot of this was about how do they grease the skids to get people to at least understand a little bit about the data product, start to use it some, whether they're using it for the most advanced use case or not at the start, so that then that value really comes in later. There's a lot of really interesting learnings around this hypothesis. I think it'll 
um, behoove you to listen to that one. On Friday, we have episode 257, which is a panel on doing data mesh governance well. This was led by Andrew Sharp with Nicola Ascom, Kinda Elmari, and Jay Como. So probably the most anticipated panel topic around mesh out there. It's really hard to cover this stuff um, specifically to governance because there's so many crucial key subtopics. Um, this, this panel covered a ton of great info about the basics of governance and data mesh and kind of how you, how do you see you set yourself up? Well, how you build that base into those more difficult, more convoluted topics as you move forward. Basically, you know, how do you make sure you cover what you need to and set yourself up for more success later? How do you find your balances between decentralized and centralized and how, you know, trying to decentralize everything is absolutely the wrong call. But if we're not actually doing that federated aspect of governance, we're not going to scale. You know, how do you make sure you stay on top of things, but uh, not just create chaos rather than that pathway to doing governance better? You can hear my super long takeaways from it in a bit, too. So with that, on to the extended summary for Amy's episode and the panel. And just a quick reminder that panel extended summaries can be uh, a little bit on the long side. So just uh, letting you know that ahead of time. Extended summary for episode 256, how to drive towards a data-driven culture with data mesh, an interview with Amy Ed Edwards. So in this episode, I interviewed Amy, who's a former director of analytics and product at Vista. To be clear, though, she was only representing her own views on the episode. Amy started the conversation around measurement in data. To become data-driven, you, you have to actually measure things. It doesn't have to be the perfect measure but you need to track and understand your progress in general. In fact, it almost certainly won't be a perfect measurement of whatever you're trying to measure. Your measurements will evolve over time too as you want to focus on different aspects of a data product or a mesh journey. In her own journey to get back in shape, she focused early on exercise quantity over quality because it was about forming the habit. After she saw success there, she started to focus more on performance and speed of her runs and things like that. So this is something that's been coming up in a lot of the mesh musings. Just start measuring things. Start to figure out what you think is going to be success and start to think about how you could measure against that. And those measurements are going to change, right? The How you measure success of a data product early in its life versus mid-cycle versus late cycle is very different. And as you think about how in general throughout your journey, you measure data products, success, you know, at the very early journey, you're like, hey, just getting them out there, that's good, you know, versus you need to have them at significant quality when they're debuting later if the domain is is mature or something like that. It's really important to think about. It's also important in Amy's mind to understand what you are actually trying to achieve in a certain phase of any implementation. For data products, there is the development phase, once it goes into production, maturity stage one, et cetera. What looks like success or is important will change and evolve in each phase, as I said, and as, your prog as you progress through your journey. That evolu evolution is not driven only by your measurement, that your fr measurement framework gets better. It's that you want to even focus on changes. So starting with number of users of a dashboard was a good initial metric. 
it was early phase, relatively easy to track, etc. So as a data product matures, you should track, you know, you sh- your what you track should change, what you think about should change. For Amy, even in a more data literate environment, it can be a pretty hard adoption or learning curve for consumers with each individual data product, each um, learning curve is pretty steep. So you want to try to get more users early in a data product's life to encourage developing new use cases. But people don't just generally start using a data data product. You know, there's nothing that's really drawing them. Oh, there's this new data product. We've all got to use it. So someone needs to do more handholding and work than just creating the data product. Part of that might be the data team or a data product owner's doing more of the interconnection work even between data products so users can understand and be confident with actually doing the queries between those. Otherwise, they will probably stick to the data products they already know. Focus on increasing and deepening engagement. That's what drives your culture towards being data-driven. Amy talked about how there's a bit of a push and pull when thinking about those better interconnections between data products. A product owner or manager should be thinking about how can their data product better connect to the greater data landscape inside the company. And then should that be pushing data from from their data product into someone else's or pulling, you know, data in from another data product to make their data product more valuable? Find those paths of least resistance for consumers to get useful information to drive increased adoption. This is, again, really interesting perspective. I don't know that I fully agree with it, but it's it's about how do you make it so that consuming is just as easy as possible because that's what Amy and team were thinking would drive usage in the long run is just getting people using at all to start. For Amy, the, the, there is an interesting challenge when it comes to balancing high reusability versus customization for data products as well. If you do not create the demand for data with the consumers, then even the most reusable data product won't see a lot of use. So they focused more on customizing data products to use cases than is probably general practice in data mesh. But that meant that the users had an easier time adopting and leveraging the data products. You can't create too many highly customized solutions in the long long run, but You just can't support that many data products, but data products that are perfect in theory with very low consumption is probably far worse than a situation where you will need to refactor in the future, but you have people eagerly consuming data. You know, it was still manageable to use this approach quite far into their mesh journey at at Vista. So at at Vista, there there was some duplication of work in Amy's view where multiple data products might have the same, might have some of the same data, but she viewed that as a conscious choice and that it's better to have the data more easy to consume than to really put the hammer down on not having duplication of data. Again, they really focused on driving usage with an eye on improving things later. So Scott note, this is an interesting note and balance to strike. I honestly don't know how I feel really about it. If you're aware and it's communicated and people understand it, and as long as it's not causing issues, I guess this duplication is okay. I don't know. 
One metric for Amy along the early drive to becoming data-driven was how often people were self-serving their analytics. Essentially, how often were people, were they going and looking at dashboards or outputs of some kind to make their decisions rather than leveraging a data analyst to answer the, the questions for them or worst, waiting for a data analyst to just come to tell them the insights? It can be hard to measure specifically, but you can get a decent idea, a decent feel of momentum around this kind of metric. A really interesting insight Amy had was that when they first started trying to work with the broader organization, many of the people were not yet confident with their analytical capabilities and providing them a ton of flexibility around their analytics dashboards just simply overwhelmed them. So instead, they pulled back. They started by providing more static views to let people learn how to consume data and analytical information before giving them more advanced self-service tooling. And to get the general business users more comfortable, they paired those business folks up with data analysts to walk them through what, what data existed and how they could query it and leverage it. Let the business users get comfortable in the shallow end, not throwing them in the deep end. Amy talked about how the role of the data analyst might not be the most glorious when you are in a transition phase. They were using data analysts as change agents, helping to train the business people to get better and better with data. It would be great if the data analysts didn't have to do that, but there is that necessary transition period where people are improving their data fluency. After getting the general populace to a better data fluency, the analysts could then focus more on high-value, more in-depth analysis. When asked about how a data product team should look and function as part of the greater organization, Amy talked about how an end-state, highly data-driven organization might look versus how you will probably start out. If we want to manage data as a product, we have to think of data management and generation at the domain level as just part of the product function or software development. That may still be a separate data product team within the domain, but it's not a completely separate unit or function. But when you are starting your data mesh journey, you almost certainly will not be at, at that capability level from a platform standpoint or you know, general developers being that data literate. There will probably be a need for a separate data product team that is led more from the data side than from the product side. But with that set up, beware of silos even within the same domain. Try to make sure data product teams are integrated into the work of the domain. Amy talked about the number one most important aspect to a successful data product or use case, an engaged consumer stakeholder that is strongly aligned. It's very hard to manufacture demand by creating the most data product or most attractive data product in the world. You want a stakeholder who is helping drive the development decisions and is chomping at the bit to get the data. Don't let the data product teams develop in isolation either. Make sure they are iterating together with the stakeholder. When building out your data mesh, Amy recommends focusing a lot on the foundation first. You will be building out some unsexy data products, really the core of what you'll build on later, that, that foundation, as the early part of your journey. But that means you can focus more and more on building to value later. Of course, you need the buy-in, funding, and momentum to go this route crawl, then walk, then run. I think this is a really interesting approach, and I think it's something people should think about 
but I don't think it's the standard thinking right now. And I don't know which one's going to be more successful, but this is something that people should really think about. And then uh, finishing up with a quick tidbit, when building out a data product team, Amy recommends your first hire being a data engineer. They're the ones who, quote, build the rough plumbing, the pipes in the walls. And without that, the water doesn't move anywhere because, you know, throughout the house in or out. Extended summary for episode 257, a panel doing data mesh data governance well, led by Andrew Sharp with Nicola Ascom, Kinda Amari, PhD, and Jay Como. Quick reminder that the extended summaries for panels go through a lot of bullet points and are quite long. This one has 30 bullet points in the takeaways in total. In this episode, guest host Andrew Sharp, principal consultant of data governance and data protection at the Oakland Group, as well as guest of episode 172, facilitated a discussion with Kinda Amari, director of data governance at Prima, and guest of episode 246, Nicola Ascom, aka the data governance coach, an independent data governance consultant, and guest of episode 129, as well as Jay Como, strategic advisor at Curate Insights and guest of episode 92. As per usual, all guests were only reflecting their own views. The topic for this panel was how do we do data governance well, including how do we get started around data governance and data mesh? There's a lot to learn about how to improve your governance, but there are no blueprints, unfortunately. You have to do the work specific to your organization, and you have to kind of figure out where you're starting from so you can figure out where you want to go. And personal note, I wanted to share my takeaways rather than trying to reflect the nuance of the panelists' views individually, because <laughs> that's just a lot of work. So I've got my top eight takeaways and then I got 22 more. Number one, the single biggest misconception around data mesh is that because we call it doing decentralized data, it means decentralized everything. It's even worse when people think it means decentralized everything on day one. Find your balances as to how, how far to decentralize different aspects, but a central governance function or team will be crucial to doing data mesh right. They need to focus on leverage points and enablement, especially via guardrails, policies, and standards. Each of those three, we want to, at least eventually, automate as much as we can. That's that whole computational part of, you know, uh, federated computational governance that Jamak mentions. Number two, if all we do is empower the domains, there will be chaos. We've seen this with improperly done decentralization in tech repeatedly. It's federated governance and not merely decentralized. We need guiding hands provided by governance to enable the domains to easily do the right things. Number three, in mesh, you have to balance individuality and freedom against consistency. The information encapsulated and how it is encapsulated, that must be free. Like, what are we actually sharing and, and how do we share that in such a way that people can understand it? Why try to constantly reinvent the wheel where you don't need to? There are so many places where differentiation isn't a value add. So we need to try to make 
conformity, easy and simple and the best decision around those places where that differentiation isn't actually a value add. We don't need to be individual just for the sake of it. If it's not going to add value, try and steer people away from that. Number four, data mesh creates a great path to start to federalize or federate or decentralize data governance. If you try to rush into decentralizing everything up front, it will lead to chaos. Domains need training wheels around a lot of governance aspects. Don't throw them in the deep end. Number five, data ownership is such a crucial aspect to get right and data mesh, especially for governance. That can feel obvious, but it's also one of the most common places mesh implementations are suffering or even falling down entirely. Be clear what ownership means and help owners understand and take up ownership. Number six, trying to standardize everything instead of create standards that make things easy but are flexible is something that has held back data governance for so long. It's these rigid, rigid standards. Data Mesh gives us the opportunity to try so many more things out. Take advantage of that and learn along the way. And again, create standards that people can adhere to instead of tell everyone you must do this one thing because it just create, creates a rigid challenge that nobody can really deal with. Number seven, communication and culture. In data, we are used to thinking that the data communicates itself. Look at this perfectly self-describing data model. It's just not the case. It doesn't work that way. And you can't transform your data culture and the way your organization communicates overnight. Unless invest a lot of time and effort into communication and culture if you want to have sustainable value delivery with data mesh. Number eight, business people don't want you know, quote-unquote data governance. They want to achieve business outcomes. Share with them how the work will help them achieve their goals instead of the specifics of data governance. Speak to outcomes and you will get them excited to do data governance. Focus on the why. The how is exciting and interesting to data folks and maybe some engineering and product type folks, but most business people just don't care. Stop forcing people on the sausage factory tour. Other important takeaways, many touch on similar points from different aspects. So number one, your mesh governance setup will look different to any other organizations at the very low level, and that's to be expected. Your organization is unique, fortunately or unfortunately. Number two, it's incredibly easy to get yourself in trouble by trying to be too prescriptive around mesh data governance and following it, you know, kind of as written. Jamak didn't try to write everything as if it was the mesh Bible. We're still figuring out how data mesh can work, and it's going to be different for each organization. Test what works and be prepared to change what doesn't. Number three, mesh data governance best practices are barely emerging at most. You will need to develop your own theories and practices in some or many regards, and be prepared for lots of evolution as we as a collective industry, figure out how to do this better before we figure out how to do it well. Number four, almost every single organization struggles trying to figure out the mix of responsibilities and roles around data owner, data product owner, data product manager, etc. You will almost certainly not get it perfect to start, test, and evolve. Now, personal note, please, for the love of all that is holy, go talk to five mesh governance leaders and see where they settled on roles and responsibilities so you aren't all repeating the same mistakes. The number of conversations that I have 
that everybody had the same challenges, whatever they called it and whatever they went down and where they settled is about the same. It's just different labels. So stop doing that. Go talk to people. Go have those conversations. Again, data mesh understanding as a business is literally trying to facilitate those conversations so you don't waste you know, six months going down the same path. Number five, every domain will have its own quirks. Don't be afraid of changing things, especially roles and responsibilities, depending on domain, maturity, or capabilities. Yes, everything being uniform would be great, but it's not realistic. You have to adjust this stuff to the real world. Number six, federate or decentralize at your own pace. Don't get ahead of yourself. Some aspects of governance will remain more centralized than you expect as you test what works best for you all along the journey. Again, your equilibriums will be different from other orgs and will change as well along your journey as domains you know, mature and each domain is going to have slightly different equilibriums. Number seven, focus on maturity models to understand how to appropriately decentralize aspects of your governance. Not every domain will be as mature either. Again, data mesh is a journey. You don't flick a switch and everything changes. Number eight, we need mechanisms to at least enable and potentially enforce interoperability. If all we have is good data products that don't interoperate, we've got high quality data silos. Consider how strongly you encourage interoperability and when. This is a big question that comes up a lot. And it's different for every journey. And some really, really focus on it at the start because then the value really pays off in the end. But some have to really show a lot of value up front to get continued investment. It's all about what what matters and when. Number nine, part of a successful data mesh implementation will be about ensuring the data products created are valuable. Highly related, it, it is important to ask if you are creating the right data products. It's hard to do that ahead of time with governance. But governance is key to at least kind of measuring and, and seeing if things are, are succeeding. Number 10, try to define what good looks like for your domains. It's easier to paint from a reference than just from using your imagination. It will also encourage more standardization across those things where, again, freedom and variation don't add value. There are many of those places. Number 11, Nicholas said, quote, you don't have to you don't go and assign data owners. You identify and engage them. Instead of treating data ownership like a hot potato, where you just try and pass it off as fast as possible, you need to figure out who should be the owner and help them step up. That can be different in, in different domains. Yes, a blueprint that works for every domain would be great, but it's not realistic. Number 12, many people are excited about what data mesh can bring to their team when they take the data ownership. Engage and flame those fires or those people that are excited. Help them realize that data ownership can be a great boon, not just more work. Easier said than done, of course. <laughs> Number 13, on the flip side, of course, there are many who will be highly resistant to taking on data ownership. Look to high-level exec supports to put the right incentives in place, not just pressure, but the right incentives in place so people will do the right thing around data ownership. It's also okay to leave some people behind rather than spend all your time trying to convince a brick wall. You know, if you're delivering a ton of value for other folks, they're going to come knocking later and you get to work with the people that you actually get to enjoy working with because they're, you know, partnering with you. 
Number 14, data governance and data mesh is harder than traditional data governance. If you are really struggling to do many of the aspects of traditional data governance, really consider if you want to take on doing data governance on hard mode by going the data mesh route. Data mesh isn't for every organization, and it's especially not ready for every organization right now. Number 15, conversely, data mesh can be something that forces you to really mature quickly when it comes to data governance. It can be the fire that forges much better practices, but that's a risk and it will mean a lot of work if you don't have a great foundation. Personal note, I still go with the previous point that don't try to rush into this if you don't have a strong foundation, but they're interesting. These are interesting points to weigh against each other. Do you want this to be kind of a trial by fire? Or do you want to kind of uh, shore yourself up and really make it so that you're able to uh, to go through this without having to be on fire? <laughs> Number 16, an absolutely crucial aspect of good governance is making the ex- the implicit explicit. Even make that explicit to your teams. Tell them repeatedly to make the implicit explicit. Because that's where you will find friction and misconceptions that will undermine your work. Constantly be talking with each other and being like, hey, I, I think this is what I- this is what I'm actually thinking. Is that how you understood it? The number of times I've, I've done that and people go, oh, wow, we were on completely different pages is very, very high. Number 17, if you are trying to layer in a ton of new rules, it usually means asking for a lot more budget for more heads. Uh Think if that will be a hindrance, or can you get away with less than perfect ownership to start? It's a risk. It's a risk. But if the initial consumers are understanding, too, that we, we don't have the budget to nail it perfectly at the start, it can mean you can move ahead with far fewer roadblocks. It's debt, though. You have to pay it down if you don't have great ownership. But, you know, this doesn't have to be perfect at the start. Number 18, historically, data work has been often bifurcated with the technical or technology data work in one group's hands and the logical, conceptual, non-technical work in another. Learning, or (laughs) maybe not even, there's not that strong of a logic and, you know, non-technical work. Learning to blend the technical and non-technical will probably be, be harder than you expect. It's not what most people have done historically with data. It's a lot about unlearning bad habits, and that isn't easy. Number 19, as often mentioned on this podcast, data letter- literacy in Mesh needs to focus on enabling people to actually do the work around data rather than deal specifically with data tools. We need to lower the bar to working with data at the tooling services platform and, and the understanding levels. Number 20, you may see engineering people get more engaged in governance than they have historically or more than you'd even expect. Obviously, invite those people into the party, right? Invite them to the table so that they can help out. They can add some really great additional expertise and that that kind of different perspective when you start to see those, those really technical engineering folks doing that. Number 21, there's a great misconception around mesh data governance and maturity. Everyone seems to think that other organizations are doing governance really well when they are struggling, you know, pre-mesh and definitely with mesh. It's just not true. Everyone is struggling that is doing data mesh. It's hard. This governance thing is not a simple, simple thing. 
that doesn't mean take it easy, but also don't get discouraged that you don't have perfect governance, you know, even in year two or year three. That's normal. We're figuring out how we do this. And, you know, the, the, the really great patterns haven't emerged. We're still figuring out what are our anti-patterns to avoid. And finally, number 22, maintaining mesh momentum is a monumentally material mission. All jokes aside, it is really easy to lose momentum. Keep to looking to deliver incremental value and take measured risks. Don't swing for the fences. Don't try and absolutely nail it right at the start. Try to think about, you know, that iterative process and, and get some momentum rather than trying to get it perfect. Hopefully it sounds like some awesome episodes for you coming up this week. As a reminder, feel free to get in touch if I might be useful in your data mesh journey, helping quite a few organizations and introducing people to each other, plus doing some roundtables. Check out datameshunderstanding.com for more information. I hope you have a great rest of your day and week. Now on to that fun, funky little outro music. Thank you.